deliverance from her physical pain, but time had eroded all of her hopes. The only thing left that she refuses to give up is her archaic faith, that somehow God could be encountered. Although it seems like God has given up on her, deep in her heart, she has not given up on Him. That's why week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath, she hobbles to church. You see, it makes no difference, 18 years of physical pain or six days of battling sin. It makes no difference. When we come to another Sabbath after battling another six days for our spiritual existence, it may be not with bent backs, but with broken hearts. We come hoping to encounter God here in His church on His holy day. You see, she will be in church. She will painfully hobble in and find her place with the rest of the women at the back of the church. You see, the men will sit up front. I'm going to tell you, ladies, just a P.S. right there. Things are a lot better for you now than they were in the times of Jesus. This story makes that abundantly clear. The liturgy will unfold as it has for 18 years. The reading of the Shema is a confession of faith, the sevenfold prayer, the Aaronic blessing, she'll be glad to receive it, the reading of selected scriptures, there'll be a discourse or a sermon, sometimes occasionally by a visitor, so she gets ready to listen to another dry recital by somebody. All of a sudden, there is a stir in the front of the church as a young carpenter from Nazareth stands up, a rabbi, a teacher, a preacher, and a healer. The normally sedate synagogue will be excited as he climbs into the honored seat of Moses by the lectern, and it's from this seat that he would speak. As eyes scan the assembly begins and he begins to speak, they say to themselves, they whisper, never a man spake like this man. And he begins to reveal truths of all eternity. All the hearers are sitting there with their eyes and their ears transfixed on this young rabbi. And this crippled little woman in the back listens if only she and the teacher are the only ones in the room, or at least it seems so. Have you ever had an experience like that when it just seems like you and Jesus are the only ones there? He knows her heart. He knows the hidden secrets of her heart. He knows the crushed hopes of her heart. And as the eyes of the teacher sweep back and forth, he holds her gaze. Her heart stops. He is looking directly at her. She feels a tremor shake her body. And then the unthinkable happens. He stops his discourse, and he says, woman, come here. Listen, it's one thing to go before a congregation when it's expected, and you have something to say. It's another thing to go before a congregation when you have nothing to say. Her heart begins to pound and race, but he will not let her go. Woman, come here. And stand in front of all those men? Are you kidding me? She's thinking. But there's reassurance in the eyes of Jesus. She stands up and eyes turn to the back 
of the little synagogue. You can read about this electrifying moment in the eyes of a doctor, or through the eyes of a doctor, Luke 13, verse 10. I invite you to come with me into Scripture, Luke the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 10. You know, I was preaching recently, and my oldest daughter was there. We're happy to have our youngest daughter with us uh, for these two or three days, but my oldest daughter was there, and I told her, I said, you know, I said, I don't hear pages rustling like I used to. And she said, well, Daddy, she said, not everybody brings their Bible anymore. They have their iPads and their iPhones and all of that. Daddy, that's the reason you don't hear the pages rustling so much anymore. I kind of miss that, though, don't you? I know pastors do. And I, I, I was in a, a church recently, and the pastor was up there and giving a beautiful sermon and holding one of these iPads, and she would flip the thing, you know, just like the pages were flipping. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I got home and I mentioned it to my daughter. I said, you know, that's, I would really like to be able to preach using an iPad. She said, Daddy, it's easy. All you have to do is put your written notes on top of the iPad and tape them down. And you can stand up there also. And people will think you're technologically advanced. Well, I haven't tried that yet and I probably won't. I would be afraid it would go off and I wouldn't be able to get it back. And you know what? I don't have to worry about that with my Bible. Sometimes the wind blows and blows the pages, but I don't have to worry about the power going out. So anyway, here's what it says in verse 10. Now, he was teaching in the synagogues, and it was on what day? That's important. Hang on to that thought. It was on the Sabbath that Jesus was preaching. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bent over, and she could in no way raise herself up. I know a lady like that. She lives in, in my little town in Texas. She's all bent over like that, and she only sees the ground in front of her. And, and if she has to see somebody, it, it takes a lot of effort for her to raise up to be able to make eye contact with somebody. So I know somebody like that. This lady was like that. She couldn't raise herself up. 18 years she was like that. Can you believe it? 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her and he said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Isn't that a tremendous story? That is miraculous, isn't it? And what day was Jesus preaching? It was Sabbath. Would it surprise you to know that seven of Jesus' healings occurred on the seventh day Sabbath? It was the Sabbath day. Seven times on the Sabbath, Jesus sets a human being free. It's interesting that in all seven instances, Jesus is the initiator. Jesus initiates the healing. They're not coming to him. This little lady was sitting on the back row. She's back there where some of you are. By the way, when I'm not preaching, you know where I am? I'll go ahead and say it. You know, I'm on the back row just like you are. But I'm meaning more 
when I say back row this evening. She was sitting on the back row. Jesus initiated, in fact, in every other instance of healing, except exorcism and resurrection, for obvious reasons, they came to Him. On Sabbath, Jesus was the initiator, and it's a significant point. I believe that He was making an assertive declaration about the nature of the Sabbath. You know what? I think sometimes, and I've been an Adventist now for about 50 years. I think I can say something to you. Can, can, we, can we talk here? Okay, a little bit. I think sometimes, folks, that we miss the blessing that God intended that the Sabbath should be. We are quick to point out and we are quick to make the point in evangelistic meetings that God's Sabbath is the seventh day and that Sunday is not the Sabbath. We're good. We've got that honed. I mean, we've got slides and everything. We can use that to back it up. But I wonder sometimes if we have not missed the point of Sabbath keeping. I believe that God intended that Sabbath keeping people would change the world. Look at the Jews. That was his people. Okay. And they kept the Sabbath. But look what they did to it. We're going to talk about that in a couple of nights. But I'm just saying to you. As Seventh-day Adventist, and we need to talk about this, we really need to understand it, that the Sabbath has meaning that we have not really put to the world yet, even in some of our churches. I'm going to say something now you won't like, but since I'm getting out of here anyway on Thursday, it doesn't make a lot of difference, okay? I'm going to say this to you, though. You've got to be a hardcore Adventist to go to some of our churches, Getting awful quiet in here. I think the way we keep the Sabbath needs to be looked at by us as a people. I believe the Sabbath has so many more blessings than just the day that's different from the first day of the week. Until I was 12 years old, I was a Presbyterian. They taught us about Jesus. They taught us about the cross. We were driving down the, the street one day and we saw an evangelist. We saw a tent. That thought just struck me. We saw a tent very similar to this one. And there was a pastor, a local pastor in San Antonio, Texas, that was holding an evangelistic meeting in a tent and his name was Joe Cruz. And I remember after the second or third night, we said, Pastor Cruz, we're shaking hands. We want to be members of your church. And if any of you know anything about Joe Cruz, he would say, gave a big smile. He said, oh, great. That's wonderful. I, we would like to do that. But I want to come and study with you first. After the evangelistic meetings were all over, okay, and there was like six or seven weeks of that, then Elder Cruz came for the next six months. Giving us Bible says, I mean, we were well indoctrinated, Jerry. I mean, we knew what we were doing when we were baptized. We became Seventh-day Adventists. You know what? I've never regretted that decision. I went back to that church 
about six months ago, that Presbyterian church, I had not been back for 50 years. And I was in San Antonio, and I had a, I had a tie and coat on, Jane, sorry. Anyway, I was in a hurry to get back to the airport, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to stop by my old church. So I did. I went in, and where do you think I sat? Back row. And the liturgy unfolded just like it had 50 years before. We were given pieces of paper, and we were, you know, we spoke at certain times. Scripture was read, all of that, just like Presbyterians do. But, you know, as I looked around, and I had a vantage point sitting on the back row, I saw people there. I didn't know any of them, obviously. But they were all over 70 years old. I'm charging in on that myself, so don't say he's trying to weed or trying to point out something here. They were all over 70 years old. The choir, there was about five people in the choir. They were doing the best they could to sing, but my, they were up there in age. That church had maybe 20 people in it that Sunday morning. And, you know, I thought about that. If we hadn't been driving down the street and Joe Cruz hadn't been doing an evangelistic meeting in a tent and my dad hadn't said, I mean, my mother hadn't said, hey, let's go and see what they're doing at that tent. I wouldn't be here this evening. And I've thought about that so many times. And I enjoy the Sabbath. But I'm not sure that I know fully what God had in mind and giving us the Sabbath. Sabbath is a great gift. If you're finding it hard to deal with, then there's something wrong with your understanding of the Sabbath. By the way, it can be said with pretty much authoritative backing that if your children, or in the case of some of you here, if your grandchildren are not enjoying the Sabbath, then there's something wrong in the way you're keeping it. How did I get distracted on that? That's, none of that is in the sermon at all. But I'm just saying, fellow Seventh-day Adventist, that we need to take a look at that. We need to spend some time in prayer about that. And it goes on to say here, well, it said in verse 13, He laid His hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Then something happened. Verse 14, But... The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. What does it mean to be indignant? It means you're angry, you're mad, you're upset, you're ready to blow your stack. This guy was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he said to the crowd. Get the picture here, folks. This is... This is some little rabbi down there in the corner of Israel somewhere, and he's talking to the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's angry because this woman had been healed on the Sabbath, as if anybody could be healed in his synagogue on any other Sabbath or any other day of the week. Here's Jesus stepping into time, stepping into this mess that had been created and healing this woman. By the way, she was a woman too. Should we talk about that, gentlemen? 
for just a moment. You know, the guys back in um, uh, those days believed that uh, they were the ones to be saved. The woman had no, did, did not have much of a chance. I don't know how they, they dealt with that, but that's, that's kind of the belief. This guy said, look, there are six days on which men ought to work. He's talking to the guy that set the whole thing up. And be healed, he said, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Don't mess up the Sabbath with a miracle. Don't do something that will help people. That's not what you're supposed to do. Boy, they they multiplied rules, didn't they? And sometimes we've done the same thing. I hate to say it, and I won't go into it this evening. But I'll tell you this, sometimes we have messed up the Sabbath, I think, by our behavior. And I think that we need to take another strong look at what we do. Because in one swoop, Jesus levels that teaching. And he calls women, by the way, all women, the daughter of Abraham. Boy, that really stung deep because they did not believe that. Jesus said, you mean to tell me I can't heal this daughter of Abraham? On the Sabbath, it's verse 15. In fact, he calls this guy a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? You know what it is? It's somebody that says one thing and then does something else. Or sneaks around and does something else. He's a hypocrite. And there's an apostrophe after that. I mean, there's, a, there's an exclamation part, uh, point after that. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey in the stall and lead it off to water it, so ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, and that really got him, whom Satan has bound. Think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all of the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were being done by him. Just like to make one point that we can think about as we go out. This, the word that's used here for healing is an interesting word. It's a Greek word. Now, I don't intend to bore you with a lot of Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that. I'm, I'm really not smart enough to do that. Anybody, Jerry, did you take uh, Greek anywhere along the line? Good. Any other? What? I read something about it. He read something about it. Any of you Greek scholars or Hebrew scholars? I want to tell, I got to tell you something. I, you know, these stories keep coming up in my mind. When I was a student at Andrews University, well before I went, I knew that I just barely passed Greek by profession of faith. You know what that is? <laughs> I, I just barely made it, okay? And when you went to Andrews University, you had to take a Greek qualifying test, and you had to get 50% on it. I was sweating bullets. I knew that I was going to wash out, and that would be the end of Larry Moore, and I'd have to go back to driving a truck, which my parents did. That was, they were in the moving business. I thought, I'm going to have to go back. Anyway, I took the test with a whole bunch of other guys. And there was a lady up there at the seminary. Her name was Dr. Leona Running. Kind of a tall, imposing lady. She struck terror into the hearts of seminarians <laughs> like me. We all took that test. And then she would call us into her office one at a time. We were lined up down the hall in the, in the seminary building, and, she, and Leona Running was calling us in one at a time. And when it was my turn to go in, I went in. She dug through the, looked through the papers, and she said, Mr. Moore, she called me Mr. Moore. 
She said, Mr. Moore, I'm happy to tell you that you scored 51 <laughs> on your great, great qualifying test. So I am putting you into the Gospel of John because the jo Gospel of John is a very easy book to translate, okay? And she put me in there because she knew I would probably get help from the teacher, you know, and probably be able to make it. Well, let me, let me add one more thing to the story, and that's this. I told you I didn't have the gift of tongues at all. Before I went to the Andrews University, two years before I went up there, they dropped Hebrew out of the curriculum. I thought, thank you, Jesus. Don't tell me there's no God. Two years after I left, Hebrew back in the curriculum. I'm here to tell you there's miracles out there today. We don't even recognize them sometimes. I have thought about that so many times, and I thought, you know what? Jesus, I am thankful for what you do and how you work on the hearts of people. Now I'm going to do one more text with you, and then I'm going to sit down, and we're going to go home. But it's Ezekiel 20. Turn with me if you brought your Bible or your smartphone or whatever it is you got to Ezekiel 20. Some of these are going to be familiar passages or familiar words to you, but it goes like this. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. It says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? A sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. What does it mean to be sanctified? That means to be made holy, right? The Sabbath is a sign between us and God, that He has made us holy. And yet, how do we keep the Sabbath sometimes? It's like a drag. It should be a happy, glorious experience, shouldn't it? I'm not talking about throwing everything and being crazy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being happy in Jesus. Look at this other verse. It says it's kind of the same thing. Verse 20, Ezekiel 20, verse 20. Hallow my Sabbaths. What does it mean to hallow? It means keep them holy. Hallow my Sabbaths. They should be a sign between me and you that you might know that I am the Lord your God. That's why the Sabbath is there. Have, let me ask you something. Have we lost something between, between creation and Calvary? Something maybe that's gotten out of balance? We're going to talk about this more in... in in a couple of evenings here. But I just believe that um, Seventh-day Adventist family, that we're a people of the right day, but I'm just wondering if, if we're a people of the right way. That's, that's all I'm saying, okay? That's all I'm saying. Just think about it. Think about it. How are things in your church? How are things in your church on Sabbath? Do people go there? Are people happy? When they come to your church on Sabbath, I hear some people saying yes. I have been into many happy Seventh-day Adventist churches. I, I hate to say it, but I've been into some that aren't. And you can tell on the way the, the way the people look. Do you remember when Moses came down off of the mountain? You remember that experience? His face was what? His face was shining. In fact, the people said, "Hey, Moses, could you put a could have put put a veil?" Over your face, that, that would be something, wouldn't it, for a pastor to be tell? Hey, Jerry, hey, veil your face, man. Help us out here. <laughs> anyway, Moses had to put a veil 
I read in Ellen White. By the way, do you still believe in Ellen White? I, I do. I, you know, one more story. I told you I was going to sit down. What time is it, Jerry? I don't you don't know? Okay. 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 Now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, Ellen White. When I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I was not really impressed right away with Ellen White. Concerned me. Then I started reading her writings. You know the people that complain the loudest and longest about Ellen White usually are people that are not reading. They're reading stuff about her, but they're not reading what she has written. That's the problem. Anyway, I started reading it. It helped me to understand passages of Scripture that I had never understood before. Made it plain. You know, that is such a gift. You know, the Sabbath is a gift to this church. The spirit of prophecy is a gift to this church. One of my daughters came to me one time. I think it was my older daughter. My, see, my younger daughter's here, and she's going to tell me after the sermon, Daddy, why did you mention me? That's not good. So I'm not going to do that to her. I think it was my older daughter anyway. But she came to me. She was having trouble with algebra. Well, I'm going to tell you, I had trouble with algebra too. And she said, Daddy, I don't understand the questions in this book. They don't make sense to me. I said, well, Becky, let me, let me see it. Let me look at it. So I read the problem that she was trying to understand. And I said, I understand. I know what the problem is. The problem is in this book. And that's that the letters and the numbers are mixed up together. If you know anything about algebra, that's algebra. The letters and the numbers are mixed up together, right? So I said, I can't help you. So she went to her mother, who's a math whiz. She helped her right away with algebra. Algebra was another thing. You know, it's a good thing that when the Lord calls people, they don't have to know everything about everything. Because I struggle with biblical languages. I, study, I, I struggle with math. All of those things, I can barely keep my checkbook balanced. But you know, you don't have to do that to be a pastor. It helps. Sometimes you have to ask for help. But anyway, Ellen White and the Spirit of Prophecy only serves to help us understand Scripture. And understand it a lot better after reading some of what she says. In fact, I don't know if, if, you have, if you've ever not done this, you ought to do it. Read the Bible through some, year, some one year and put down the Conflict of the Ages series right by it and read those two things together. It is a divine commentary on Scripture. It will give you, I'm going to tell you something now that maybe you've never heard before, it will give you a college-level education of Bible doctrines if you will do that. Reading the Bible, reading the Conflict of the Ages series, you do those two things together, you're getting anything that they can put out there in any of our schools. So do it. What is it, is it Nike that says, just do it? Okay? Try that sometimes. It will be such a blessing to you. So what am I getting at? Simply this, that I believe that God wants us to understand far more than we do. And I've just picked out one thing. I've just picked out the Sabbath 
to talk to you about in these three times that we have together. God has something far deeper, I believe, than we've ever thought before. And it will touch the world. Had the privilege of shaking hands with a major general three days ago. Now, I've never done that before. Usually those type of people move in a different, different, uh, uh, what? Sphere. Sphere, circle of people. I shook hands with this man, a very interesting man. It's interesting that his wife was the, now this is a word I didn't know before until last week, docent. You know what a docent is? I had never heard that before. Of course, I'm from Texas. You're going to think, that's the reason. A docent. Kind of like a caretaker, though, isn't it? Or a guide or something like that. She took people through Mount Vernon. Okay? He was in the United States. He, he was a major general and, a, a, you know, taking care of troops and responsible for actions and things like that. She was doing this work. So they retire and they decide that they're going to move to Massachusetts. And so when they move to Massachusetts, these are not Seventh-day Adventists. They move to Massachusetts and they buy a house. They like old houses. They like something they could fix up. And so they got both of those things in this house in Massachusetts. Happened to be the place where Uriah Smith was born. And so when the White Estate found out about it, they contacted them and they started talking. And this lady said, I would be happy to show Seventh-day Adventists through this piece of history. She said, I've been doing this all my life. Tell me God doesn't work. Who would have thought that a major general and his wife would retire in Uriah Smith's old place? Here we, here we pulled up in this bus. You know, I kind of hate to be associated with that sometimes. We had to make restroom stops at Walmart and places like that. And I'm sure they were getting their hopes up that we were going to come in and buy something. Well, a bunch of people did. But uh, anyway, here's this bus pulling up in front of this major general's house. And the most gracious lady appeared at the door. She said, I am glad you're here. This is not a Seventh-day Adventist. I am glad you're here. I want to show you through our house. And on the coffee table, or the postum table, I guess it was a coffee table, <laughs> the book Daniel and Revelation by who? Uriah. Uriah Smith. Tell me God's not alive. Tell me that God is not leading His work today. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you feel like I do this evening, that we want to be tuned in to heaven. Because that's the only way this work's going to be finished. If we don't get tuned into heaven and the Holy Spirit and with God, these tents are all going to rot. In fact, the one that's over there by the where the food trailer is, that thing looks like it's been shot with a Gatlin gun. Have you noticed that? That's the observatory. What? The observatory. Oh, the observatory. That's what it is. Thank you, Jane. I appreciate that clarification. 
No, all I'm saying is this, folks, that God expects us, with His help, to help the world to understand about Jesus. Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, well, what? I will draw. That's all we have to do. We have to lift up Jesus, and Jesus will draw people unto Him. There is so much more I can say this evening, but I'm going to give you a break. We still got two more times together. I just believe, though, that God wants to do wonderful things through His people, don't you? And I, I just pray that He will do it soon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You this evening for this opportunity that You've given us to meet together. And Heavenly Father, we know from our study of Scripture that Jesus is our Savior. He is not only our Creator, He is our Recreator. He can fix everything that's wrong with this world. And Lord, as we look out, as we see the paper, as we look at the uh, television, as we listen to our, our um, uh, iPhones, etc., etc., that we see that this world is in such a mess. So Father, I just pray that You will help us to take another hard look at ourselves and the need that we have to fall in love again with Jesus. And then may He touch our lives. Father, this evening, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I would like to ask if there's anyone here that would like to say, Dear Jesus, hang on to my hand because I need you. I want to be ready when you come. Is there anybody like that that wants to be remembered? Heavenly Father, you can see these hands raised heavenward. More important than that, Lord, you can read our hearts. You know if we really mean it. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll be able to hang on to Jesus. And beyond that, that we will encourage others to hang on also. Because we know that Jesus will come soon. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.